I'm going to be honest, man. I'm really excited for today. I mean, we're honored and humbled to have, you know, such a renowned producer from Hollywood, somebody who really, really knows film and can give us the insight on film. Uh, we haven't had that before. So thank you so much for being here. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough. I mean, uh, once was already enough. Now Yo, it's the second Tony, time wait, having what me the here. Fu- Tony, Where did what you are you come doing from? here? What? I, what? No, dude, that's, you? that's my podcast. What the fuck are you? And, and stop calling my fucking wife at 3 a.m., dude. Tony, you, ha- Tony. Guys, I thought Tony, you were talking about me here. Right? Bro, have you had been, on two weeks ago, bro. What, what have you been doing? All have you time? left since You'd our... be surprised Jesus fucking how much Christ, humans can go without showers, okay? One. Two, now you start getting, now, right. you, now you're no, getting, no, no, no. Oh, it's not that we're getting Hollywood, Tony. Who introduced you to we, Shadi Eli Matar? <laughs> I'm the guy who, right. who brought this, this guy here. Once now, again, and now once you're doing again, this without once me? Again, this uh, is out of Tony, The first thing I want to know, and I know this is not a concise answer that you're probably going to give me, but how does a boy from Big Faya in Lebanon end up as a reputable producer in Los Angeles? And Hollywood. It took a a few years, but um, essentially, look, I I was born and raised in Lebanon. In uh, in the you know, I was born in '82, and it was during the war. Um, Grew up in Lebanon, went to school in Lebanon, went to university in Lebanon, and then I um, I think the the first experience with cinema that I remember is when my dad took us to a place called La Cité, which was like a cinema chain in Junior. And, and I watched a movie called Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Who framed Roger Rabbit? Who framed Roger Rabbit? And I and I and I rem- I just I cannot forget this movie. And and you know it's like obviously it's a film that I've seen so many times mm-hmm. now. But um, and then this the the second film I saw is Batman with Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 90s throwback. Yeah, yeah, and I and I fell in love with that world, and and I realized that I kept going back to the cinema. Like as a kid, I would go to like Planet uh, Circuit Planet or something like this, and um, and I would go watch movies all the time, uh, and I loved that. But funny enough, I did not think about a career in the cinema or in the film business. Like I, it was, that world was just like okay, you go to the movies, you watch that, and and you know like a dreamer. And then my grandfather had a printing press and I would go every summer work at that printing press so I can, I learned all the printing process. I know how to print. I, I know layouts, fonts, serifs. Funny enough, all of this comes back, came back to me at some point in my life. But um, then when, when it came to choose a career, funny enough, my dad, who had an office that helps young people decide what they want to become and do, uh, we decided that, okay, you know what, since I love like marketing and I love like advertising design and things like this, maybe I'll do advertising and marketing. Yeah. And I studied advertising and marketing at the NDU. And then after that, a friend of mine who was producing a show called Top Gear for NBC, mm. uh, I was sit- sitting at the pool with him in Big Faya and, he, and, I was, and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, look, I'm taking those summer jobs at my grandfather's printing press, but I was like 17, probably or 16, 17 at the time. And I said, I want to do something else. He's like, we're starting this show it, at NBC, and it's a car show. And I loved cars, and I loved design and all of this. So um, I started working with him on that show, and I fell in love with the whole process. I felt like it's just incredible. You know, you have these cameras, you go to these locations, you test drive these the cars. The creative input in it's general just, it's, is it's, it's insane, right? Yeah. And uh, there's a rebe- rebellious feeling in it a little bit. Um, and then I decided, and I went and I told my dad, I want to I wanna do something in the cinema. Like, I want to do something in this world. Uh, 
So I finished my advertising marketing and then I went into adding credits, which gave me another degree of radio, TV and film. How was your dad's reaction at that time when you told him you want to get into that world? My, nothing. Like my, da- my dad is one of the coolest, you know, he's one of the coolest motherfuckers on this wor- nice, in this world. Nice, he's, nice, nice. He always said to us two things which I, I will never forget. Do what you love, do it the best. Don't ever be afraid of g- giving credit to somebody else because if it's theirs they'll take it anyway and uh it's it's an amazing thing um and so he didn't care he's like okay sure and and my dad is very into education so when you go to him and say look i want to get more education that's not going to be a no mm, like yeah. just go it's not going to prohibit education, education like, in any field yeah and i remember yeah. like you know i'm into watches and then i went and i studied like watchmaking and mm. he was so excited that's like <laughs> recent and he was like oh my god you're going to class like he loves that when yeah, you yeah. you know so he, he will support it so uh, so I did ad- radio, TV, and film. So I, I had two degrees. And then uh, my brother that year, who went to do an American Board of Medicine in, in uh, the States, was a little bit of an impact for our family. Like when somebody immigrates, it's just difficult. So, uh, so then I said to my dad, let me do a master's in production at the ALBA just a year before I go to the States. Because I want to, like that was my career path now. I'm just going to go become a film producer. And I, and, I, and I love that career, and I love that path. Uh, so I, I started the um, program at ALBA, a master's degree in film production, and it was a French program. So we had French, it was like a, between France and Lebanon and all of this, it was really good. And then the 2006 war happened. We had to shrink the whole program into like a small, anyway, we finished the thesis, all of that stuff. And, and then I, at the meantime, I was applying to film schools. I applied to AFI, which is the American Film Institute of USC. I wanted the AFI because AFI had a very like um, learn by doing style and the others are a little bit more theoretical. USC, UCLA, Chapman. UCLA didn't take me, USC didn't take me, Chapman took me, AFI took me, which what I wanted. Mm. So I, I, I said yes. Funny enough, I did not get the FedEx package. I will never forget that because they said yes to me and I never got the FedEx package of acceptance. Yeah. yeah. So you never knew co- you were accepted? No, because again, <laughs> Lebanon, you don't get shipping. Yeah. There's, no, it arrives there's no logistics. Halfway, it arrives halfway through the semester. Yeah. You're like, oh, you know. Yeah. This day and age, just get an email, man. And these guys are like, you know, we sent you that package. You didn't sign it. I'm like, which package? <laughs> like, I'm in, but which package? And then, and then they resend me another one and then they knew I was coming. And then the war started in 2006. And I remember it was very difficult because I left with no bag. I'm, I'm leaving this country. I'm like immigrating. No bag. I told my parents goodbye on the road in Bikfaya, in the middle of the road. Was that it the was first very time, hard. Was that the first time you ever left Lebanon and you like traveled? Or, no, like, I, no, no, it wasn't the first time I traveled, but it was the first time I like, I'm immigrating. Like, I'm like, this is not going to be my place, my yeah. home for a long yeah, time. Yeah. And, uh, and I took a taxi through Syria to Jordan, flew, to, flew from Jordan to Dubai, spent three, four days in Dubai, went to Holland, sent, spent two days there, went to Detroit, and then from Detroit, I went to LA. And oh, so you took the short route. I to took LA. the short route. Yes, great. <laughs> I wanted to make sure every country is. <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, and then I got there, and um, it was the first time I go to the States. I was never, I've never gone to the States before. And it was, and the first thing, and I remember, and I remember that the states felt so old. It, it, like when you look at the infrastructure in the United States, you're like, this is very old, <laughs> because you're like, wait, in Lebanon we have like, you know, <laughs> poles with like cables on top of them. 
in the U.S. it's still the same thing. Yeah, they do. Right? But then you learn through time that in the States, if something is not broken, they don't fix it. They don't it. fix it. They, and then when they fix it, they advance it in leapfrogs, which is, we'll get to that, but it's fantastic. And, um, and then I went into the school. I obviously had a hard time finding a place, all that stuff, but got through it. And then I started attending the AFI, which was a, a phenomenal experience. A phenomenal experience because on a human level, every individual in the United States is valued at what they're trying to do. They're not valued by preconceived notions of where you're coming from, what's your religion, your what's your, who's your family, where you live, what's your money, none of that. There's no variables that determine your sort of like respect except what you're putting out, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And I thought that this was incredible because, unfortunately, I grew up a little bit bullied in Lebanon. Um, one, because I had a health issue, which I had a specific, I have celiac, uh, you know, I have a celiac since I was six. So I had to take like Tupperwares when I go to school, a lot of bullying. Okay, you're not the kid who's eating a sandwich, you're the kid. It's like there's a lot of that. And, there, and then I, I, I wanted to do something, which is the entertainment industry, at a time, you know, there's no Netflix, there's yeah. no YouTube, there's none a of bit that unconventional. stuff. It's very unconventional. I remember like my dad's friends were like, you know, you're spending all this money to send your kid to the States to carry a camera. Like that's the joke. Typical <laughs> Lebanese mentality. Hela Ali, they mock things they don't understand. It's incredible because, because uh, it's one thing to disagree with somebody on their path or whatever, and that's okay. It's another thing to bash it. Yeah. Yeah. And in the States, you don't find that. And I, th and I thought this was heaven. Um, so I, I obviously, I loved it. I, I went through the AFI. My mentors were great. In a crazy turn of events, my main mentor is a guy called Neil Canton who produced Roger Rabbit. Oh. His brother produced Batman. And, they, and funny enough, when I wrote my uh, statement of purpose to go to the AFI, I did mention Roger Rabbit and Batman, and he was the one who read them and no did the interview way. with me. Like, I like you because so you like a, me. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's like it the stars like, aligned. It was like, holy shit, okay, yeah. like this guy, he's like, okay, and, and you know, I mean, he's now one of my very good friends, and uh, his brother Mark became my mentor throughout my whole life. Uh, he introduced me into the film industry, he gave me my chances, and um, his daughter, uh, uh, Neil's daughter, who's my professor at the uh, AFI uh, is now like a lead executive at Paramount and she and I are making three films together. And so it's just, it's incredible. Like how you, you sort of like sort of get in and, and proliferate into that. Uh, I met a guy at the AFI, his name is Scott Silver. He became my business partner. He's still my business partner. We founded the company together. Uh, the thing is that I graduated in 2008. 2008, there was a massive oh, financial meltdown. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in the United States, okay? I would call my friends here in Lebanon and they were doing very well financially. Lebanon is one of the least affected places. I know, and I'm like, we're <laughs> fucked. I'm like, we're fucked. How is this the American <laughs> dream? There's no American dream. That's a hoax. <laughs> Riyadh Salemi, he had shit under control. <laughs> and I'm like, how are we fucked? This is the country that went to the moon and you guys are doing so well. I started thinking of really going back to Lebanon and the Middle East to do those things. Smartly, my dad was like, no, 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 no. You God. have to get that, yeah. experience in the United States. You'll always go back. He supported me financially. I mean, honestly, for, the, for like a year and a half after university, I couldn't find a job. 
I, I was interning constantly. I interned for Scott Rudin. I became his assistant. Then I got paid a little bit. And then I went on a movie Mark brought me, which is Immortals. And I was like making like five, six, seven, seven thousand dollars a week. But then, you know, it's very short lived. Yeah. And then you have to like another year where you're not making money. So, so you got to save just, up all that money. Yeah. And well, you don't really. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the problem. That's LA. Because you think it's going to be like. That lifestyle is so fast paced. That's the Lebanese in you. Like, yeah, I have five, six, I'm going to spend. Exactly. And, and also I, that I, industry that he's in yeah. as well. And you just think like that's going to last forever. Right? <laughs> so, uh, yes, I did not. But assuming I did for <laughs> Let's just say you did. Like, correct. Uh, then. Um, you start sort of, but this is how you start to also learning how the business works. Mm. It's up and down. You make a film, you don't make a film. The film gets greenlit, you don't get greenlit, so on and so forth. And the single best thing that happened to me is that I wasn't an American citizen until three years ago. Because if Mabruk, I was an American, thank you. <laughs> because, that's funny. Be, because if I was an American citizen, what would I have done? I would have left. Because I was not an American citizen, I had to stay. I had to make it work. And I used to say to myself, the only way forward is downward. I'm just going to go down. Fuck I'm going to yeah. fucking do this. Yeah. And it was freaking insane. It was hell. Because you're not making money, you're in debt. You're trying to make things work. It's difficult. My business partner, he brought money from his family in Texas. But also, I mean, they can't you know, fund the whole operation. I mean, a movie costs millions of dollars. I mean, you you just, it's not sustainable. And then we started, we, we made the first film for $125,000, made okay with it. We made another one for 600000 made okay with it. During this whole recession in the U.S., and then the U.S. started working out. And then you're like, okay, holy shit. Things are going Actually, back to normal. This country I'm seeing it, is a though, behemoth. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's a, it's, a, it's a crazy place. And then Netflix started becoming digital. And then YouTube started. And you're like, oh my God. Oh, look, at all, look at all the opportunities. Yeah. Everything insane. was clicking. Everything you cannot complain. Clicking. Yeah. And then we started building the, the company. We, we did a film. So then my business partner came up with this idea called the, uh, uh, which became The Pyramid, which is a film we did. Uh, and I said to him, you know what, Scott? I'm not doing movies independently. I want to make a film with the studio. And I spent, by that time, I spent around five, six years in the studio world. So I know a lot of executives. I know the studios. I could just call them, pitch them the ideas. And then, um, then Fox said, we'll make the film. And then we made the film with Fox. It went on, made a lot of money, so on and so forth. And then, you know, about five years ago, um, a crazy thing happened, which is that so by that time, I mean, right now, I'm like, I've been 14 years in the States, but 15 years. Uh, about five years ago, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, Jean, Jean de Meron, the, the guy we were talking about, who his dad is an architect. He's also in the film industry. He uh, has always introduced me to people. They come from Switzerland, they come from Europe. And he's like, look, there's a, let's go have dinner, you and I, at this place called Isabelle. Uh, I just want to talk to you about some stuff. And we're talking about things. And then he's like, do you mind if this guy, Toby, comes and joins us. He's from Switzerland, he's a director. He's created this technology that does like interactive films. Maybe, you know, you love technology. He's always been like a tech nerd, design mm -hmm. nerd, mm -hmm. and movies. And he's like, uh, let, I said, yeah, of course, bring him in. So he comes, this guy Toby comes in. First of all, I love his looks. He's like a cool dude, bald hair, big beard, like very chill, like you yeah, can tell yeah. somebody. 
So he's sitting with us and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, look, I live in Switzerland. I'm a commercial director. I, I'm playing with this technology. It's called a uh, control movie. And, um, and I said, okay, that's cool. What does it do? And he said to me, um, he said, it's like a choose your own adventure film, uh, system. I said, can I see it? And he's like, yeah, look, I have my laptop. I can show you the script. So he shows me a script and it's like all like um, uh, flow charted. You know, I mean, the script is a page by page. This is like multiple pages. And I was, I'm like, holy shit, this is insane. And I instantly was starting to think like this could be a paradigm shift in the whole entertainment industry. I mean, I know the film business. I know what they're suffering from. I know the struggle we're having in the entertainment. And, um, and I'm like, okay, what are you doing with this? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, uh, let's, let's meet up tomorrow. And I'm like, how long are you staying here? He's like, I'm staying here for nine days. I said, okay, let's meet up tomorrow morning for breakfast. We left, I get into my car and I sat down for like five, six minutes. I'm like, I saw something at that time that it will change the entertainment industry. I went home, my wife Caroline is at home. She's like, how's your dinner? I said, babe, I think I saw something that will be and it's, yeah. it's a paradigm shift. Yeah. It's like the invention of sound in cinema. And she's like, oh my God, you're like, give me this pitch now. You're like, you're such Here a producer. Here we go again. Here's, <laughs> here's the Lebanese. <laughs> yeah. The opportunity. I'm like, babe, no, no, you don't understand. This, this was real. Is, let me explain it to you. And I'm like pitching her something that I have not really like still grasped on, but I get where this is going. You see the vision. Correct. Yeah. And one of, my, one of my life sort of idols, and I love his philosophy so much, regardless of the products he's made, is a guy called Steve Jobs. You guys might have heard no, of him. No, what does he do? Yeah. <laughs> Steve was this <laughs> yeah, little yeah. guy. Yeah. So Steve Jobs had this philosophy, which I love, and he used to say, stay young, stay foolish. And when it happens to you, it's incredible. I was so foolish in that moment because I had no idea how many fucking interactive systems are out there. Who's doing that? I just like, thought this is insane. It's a cool right? idea. Yeah, it's yeah. a cool idea. And I was like a little kid. And she's like, and Caroline's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, look, I, I, I'm going to meet with this guy tomorrow. He's, he's a cool guy. He seems very sharp. I met with him on breakfast. And I said, um, I said, here's what, first of all, I called Scott. I said, cancel all the meetings we have for nine days. We're meeting with this guy every day. And he's like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, listen, are you willing to give half of our company to this guy so we can take half of his company. And he goes like, what the, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm like, are you willing to do that? Just trust me. And he goes like, look, he knows like, I'm always like crazy ideas. And he's like, do whatever the fuck you want, but don't fuck us. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, we're not gonna get fucked more than we can get fucked. Like, it's fine. We can just always go back and be producers. Like, yeah. I don't give a shit, right? And because producing is all about like who you are. Like you read the script, you put it together. Like. You don't really need a company in a sense, but if you have a company, you have a structure, you have all of that. So, uh, so he's like, okay, whatever. So I go to the, the breakfast with Toby and I'm like, what are you doing with this? And he's like, look, I don't know. I'm like, listen, this, we're gonna build a company out of this. This is what we're gonna do. This is who I know. These are the people we should talk to. And we should develop the technology into doing these things, into having that software, blah, blah, blah. And he apparently, and I knew that later on, was actually coming to the States from Switzerland trying to find somebody to team up with 
because it's difficult. You know, he's in Switzerland. I mean, it's just a difficult business. And uh, and we sort of like we also philosophically meshed on like the way we think, the way you know we love movies and all of that stuff. And um, he said, okay, let's do it. So he went back. He spoke to his partner in the, in Switzerland. And he said, I met this guy, whatever, whatever. Since I don't have money to buy his company, and he doesn't have money to like sort of pay me in a sense for my service, we decided I'll give him half of my company. He gives him half of yeah. his company. Just as a sort of like a placeholder relationship thing. And then he's like, how do you want to do this? And, and I sort of designed a master plan, which is essentially like build one company, merge those production and technology company under one roof, make one big company that is tech production oriented and go out with this technology and then, you know, uh, pitch it and all of that. And we spent the past five years, four years now, uh, essentially pitching the technology and all of that, we um, got in, you know, all the studios who subscribed to it, some studios that became our partners, they invested in the company. We have eight films in that format. Essentially, the, essentially what this does is a choose-your-own-adventure technology, meaning that you go to a movie theater, you have your phone with you, <coughs> you connect to the, to the uh, what we call the IMB, which is the cinema system is it like an app that you it's connect like, so to? you have an app on your phone yeah. and you're watching the movie and then you see sub, sort of subtitles look like mm -hmm. uh, choices coming Giving up on choices, screen every yeah. once in a while and then you see them on your phone you make a choice it changes the story majority democratically okay. changes the story obviously later on you can do it at home you can do it with your friends okay. I can be in LA you guys in Beirut you mm -hmm. can do it together so it's like okay. customizing your own movie absolutely to extent, yeah. it's basically that and what it does is it opens up the opportunity of the repeat business. So now you will watch a film multiple times. You'll watch different yeah. endings, different iterations, yeah. different storylines. Um, and then obviously we built software around it. We built all of that. We're deploying it. We have a lot of filmmakers, uh, part of it. The biggest one is Steven Spielberg. Uh, yeah, I saw Amber. Alex Aja is one of them, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so on and so forth. So... Um, it, it's just been fascinating. The whole journey has it, been The whole amazing. journey has been fascinating. But how do you think right now, for instance, with coronavirus, and obviously you know how the cinema industry in, from a global sense has been affected with the lockdown. How do you think that will affect what you guys are doing? Do you think that will push it and become more prominent, or do you think that might hinder it a bit? So, so here's the thing. I'm a massive ambassador and proponent for the theatrical experience. Yeah. I think that the... When a movie comes out in a movie theater on a global scale, it's the only event that humanity on a weekly basis are connected yeah. in one time. Even a concert that happens in New York, it's not global. Yeah. It can happen. If you can have the biggest 300 million attendees concert in Beijing, yeah. it's not global. Because everybody would be watching the same thing at the same time. Correct. At the same time. Like when you look at like Avengers Endgame. Yeah. The world is I mean, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's fascinating what's going on. And I think that, f so I, I love the cinema experience. I love going into a dark place, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I also acknowledge that the way my grandfather got entertained in cinema, my father got entertained in cinema, I got entertained in cinema, my kids or their kids will get entertained in cinema, doesn't work. It's constant evolution. It's insane. Like it, it will be insane if one design and one product works for such a long time and is so effective. True, true. So I think that cinema, here's my, my opinion. COVID helped usher us. We are in 2020. 
yet we're living in very industrial age analog system. Yeah. And I think COVID pushed us to become more digital, more connected digitally, less connected physically. Yeah. Okay, we don't have to be in the same room to do the same thing, enjoy the same feeling. Yesterday I was reading something about uh, VR and uh, augmented reality. And one thing that I loved was how VR companies, mainly led by Facebook and, and Oculus, they are doing things which you cannot do in the real world, which means we're sitting at that table. I'm reaching out for, my, for the cup. Until I touch the cup, I will have no senses of what the cup feels like. In VR, they can create the sensor motion where the closer I get to the cup, the more I start feeling oh, it. Wow. And that shows you that it means my hand is here. I could start feeling there is an object. Now, in a virtual world, I might see it because I can look at it. But let's say you don't see it. You can just feel it because you're wearing those gloves and these sensors and all. When you grab it, then it's a different motion. So there's a heightened... Um, Your sensations are heightened. Correct. Too, yeah. And you cannot deny that that is also very appealing. And that is very cool. And that the world can go into that place. It's like we're a sitting here, okay? We're sitting here. You're a music composer. One of the most difficult things is to mix the music in a sense where everybody's enjoying it in a way that it should be enjoyed. Of course. When you're talking and he's talking, there is a spatial difference mm -hmm. into how I'm receiving it. We don't, in the real world, we're just doing it. But in the virtual, digital, post-COVID. Post-COVID, yeah. Um, I think it's fascinating where the world is going. And I think it's, it's incredible. Um, so this is why we, when COVID happened, we shifted our company's sort of like master plan from very theatrical, very traditional, like theatrical, home and personal, right? You start in a theater, you watch at home with your friends and you watch on your iPhone, on your tablet, iPhone, whatever. Now we're like, no, you know what? Actually, digital is first. You want to have this theatrically, sure, you can have it. It's there. We build the, the hardware. And then you can do it personally. We shifted the technology from being center, uh, centralized to decentralized in a sense where you can be on an iPhone, I can be on an Android phone, he can be on a PlayStation, Lebanon, New York, Finland, whatever, we can play together. So again, going with the idea that things are communal, but doesn't have to be physically communal, like physically, we don't have to touch each other, communal. Um, and I think that that's, that's okay too, uh, in my opinion. I'm still a little bit old school when it comes to that. I still, again, think yeah. the theatrical is amazing. Mm. There's nothing like going to a movie theater. Like, when I look at Tenet, which I have not seen yet, and I'm dying to see, mm. uh, I mean, don't tell me you're going to be able to experience Tenet on no. your oh, no, iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We discussed this last time with Blade Runner yeah, 2049. Yeah. Like Come that, on. That needs to be experienced in the city. It there, has to have movies, a big yeah. screen, yeah. that texture. There is something so... Look... It's a, it's amazing how I don't want to I don't want to watch a YouTube video on a IMAX screen. Yeah, I have yeah, no yeah. interest. There are certain things for certain places. Basically. Correct. Yeah. And I think that we live in a world where there's so many screens, there's so much access to, uh, if you want, like entertainment over screens that it's okay. You don't have to, no none not one media has to cancel the other. It's okay. You could I mean look in LA in Burbank for example we have. 29 screens of theaters. In my opinion, they should become 10. 10 sure. Yeah. You don't have to have 29. Oversaturated. Correct. That's okay, though. Yeah. Okay? You still can go pay 25 bucks, see that experience if you want. It will, the movie will stay there for six months. It's okay. 
you want to watch it at home look the pvod model which is the digital release of a theatrical film on digital did not work so far it has not worked in hollywood if i'm a subscriber to netflix i will not pay netflix another 20 30 bucks to watch a film one movie yeah yeah specifically because it's released now and then i will not do that people will not do that and then i think there's another thing that's happening so back in the day there was television broadcasts through antennas yeah, through ca- yeah, yeah, yeah. antennas yeah, yeah. and then it moved to cable cable yeah and then now it's moving through internet yeah. in my opinion in the future netflix hulu uh, amazon prime paramount plus disney plus, disney disney plus, plus peacock hbo max the usual suspects whatever they will become nothing more than a tv network that will provide you all those 500 channels yeah. you can have on a t- uh, yeah. tv yeah. box yeah. but digitally over the internet it's interesting i got into a conversation with my dad about that exact same thing and it's fascinating because he's still old school and it comes to cable and every time it comes to london it's like why don't you use the cable i'm telling him that the, the concept of cable is non-existent it's, it's not gonna work it's anymore no anymore. Archaic, yeah. Yeah. it's archaic it's slow it's delayed uh but that's okay it did its job for 30 40 years so uh, I think that the future is that, but at the same time, I don't think. Look, now there's a migration from binge watching to weekly scheduling. Yeah, I because agree. here's the thing: a show that's eight hours, Stranger Things. I don't have eight hours to commit to this show. I'm sorry. Yes, neither do I. <laughs> yeah, I want to watch it. I want to no, no. watch it. I don't have eight hours. People only binge watch when they have nothing to do. Like when they have so much free exactly. time, that's when binge watch happens. Basically I, describing yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> so you wanna, you're frustrated. You. Yeah. This is why I think the Apple model now is working where every week they have Apple model. That's the old school model. Every yeah. week you have a new you release show. something new. First of all, it extends your membership and subscription because now you have to have that subscription over two, three months to keep that show on. And the second of all, your allocation of time, going back to time, which is the most important thing. And I think that time in the entertainment is similar to thirst in, with Coca-Cola, meaning that when you're thirsty, Coca-Cola is competing against water and orange juice as well. Because you're thirsty and whatever you're gonna drink is that next yeah. product. When I have an hour to kill, am I gonna watch Netflix? Am I gonna watch uh, Quibi? Am I gonna watch YouTube? Am I gonna review? It's very limited. So if I watch an hour of Stranger Things and I'm frustrated because now I have seven hours but I don't have that time, that's not a good business model, mm. in my opinion. But the consumer has been, from what I know and even I felt it, I felt like we've benefited from, I, I, I enjoy having all the content right there in the whole season in front of me. And then I subscribe to Apple and I find myself being slightly annoyed at having to go back to the old model of waiting every week, even though I understand the business perspective mm-hmm. from it. But Lake, you still do it. You will wait. Because I'm desperate. You <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's a very good... I yeah. mean, yes. But at the same time, I think that how many times and how many shows are you going to really sit seven or eight hours to watch them? There's a select few. It, it will, okay, so you mentioned Stranger Things. This is like... Like the ultimate... Of, the yeah, highlights yeah, sure, of Netflix. Yeah. The series sure. that is carrying them. So I yeah. agree with you in that sense. You also yeah. done binge watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. No, I, I find myself actually with a lot of the shows that you can binge, you know, my now in this fuck, in the short... Uh, age kind of content yeah. very short fast. attention span, short yeah. attention span yeah. is is essentially 
I'll watch something, I'll watch 20 minutes, and if it's not one of the biggest shows that everyone is watching and uh -huh. that has my attention span, I move on to something okay, else. That's, okay, hold on a second. That thought is amazingly destructive. I'm Netflix. I just spend $20 million on those eight hours. You watch 20 minutes. That's a disaster of a business model. Yeah, kid. Do you see what I'm saying? But then if I create a cooler, uh, a water cooler conversation, meaning that I release one episode on Monday, you watch 20 minutes of it, that's fine. On Friday, Monday shows up, you're going to work or you're talking to your friends, your friends have watched the whole show. You're gonna have feel left behind. You're gonna give it a second chance the next week. But going back to you think about Netflix's business model, the whole business model is basically in terms of money, it's constructed on the amount of subscribers that they have, the amount of people that actually go pay that monthly, mm -hmm. like let's say $9 yeah, a month. Yeah. And how do they lure you in? They don't lure you in through the, like that 20 minute show that you're gonna get no. bored. They lure you in through these big shows, the Stranger Things, stuff like that. Correct. And then you go House you get of Cards. 100%. Yeah. And those shows take a lot of time to finish as of well. Of course. So they're gonna lure you in through these big names and then people are just gonna, many people are also careless and reckless. So even if they want to deactivate Netflix, the They'll whole process keep it. of, yeah, exactly. So I think they base their business model maybe more of that rather than putting an average show. They'll just put the average show there for more diversity. Correct. And, but all I'm saying, look, all I'm saying is that it, it's the beauty of all of that discussion is that everyone feels they have a tailor-made experience. You're not forced to do it. You yeah. don't want that show, don't watch they it. They give you look, the freedom. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's an incredible yeah. thing that we're at a time and age where everyone has a tailor-made experience. You don't like the show, sure, I like it. But I think that cinema is the only event that You're forces forced to, people yeah, yeah. To have one conversation going on about this thing. It's so hard, and I'm sure it happened to all of you guys, where I've watched all of Stranger Things, you haven't. We can't have a conversation. Yeah. I am the, I'm, and I will and I'll admit that, I'm the only probably person in the world right now who has not seen the entirety, if not very little, of... Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Game of Thrones. I knew, I knew it. Okay? I still haven't watched you the final so, so, <laughs> so, so... I cannot have a conversation with anybody. I don't want to have a conversation. Don't even, even ask me anything. Or I'm not going to close my ears. Because I will watch it for sure. And I'm one of those people who will watch it now on a plane. Like, because it's a great time for me going back to the States with 12 hours of flight. I'll watch it. Yeah, fair. Uh, my wife watched it where I could have joined her. I did not. Because for me, it was like, that has been a little bit. But at the same time, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that I need to watch. Like, there's, it's incredible how... Uh, how these things work in this day and age where but at the same time I'm the guy who watches three, four, five films a week in a cinema so um, it's a very interesting thing I think that it's fascinating for the entertainment industry it's fascinating for technology where it's pushing the, the limit we're very excited about what we're doing because we're letting the audience play with their interact, characters exactly. interact Creating I, I want to ask stories. how exactly so because I know kind of in the states that reading up on studio history that the studios cannot produce their own movies and then kind of own the distributors i think correct that, yeah so how does it work exactly do you pain in the ass it's a pain in the ass okay <laughs> that's yeah. that's so here's works. the thing so here's the thing when we've <laughs> this is the story of my life essentially. Yeah. that's the biggest battle of all times <laughs> that's your game of thrones battle the, <laughs> the dragons and the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. when the dragon the there's a i don't know yeah ice dragon and let's not get some nerdy again we haven't seen them but um essentially what happens is exhibition which means like empire in lebanon amc whatever vox they are the people who are they're separate from the studios they're separate from the producers mm -hmm. studios are producers 
uh, they, it, it, we became into that chicken or the egg situation. Because when you go to exhibition and say, look, we need to deploy this technology that allows audiences to do what, what that experience is, they'll say, oh, what's your food chain? Like, what's the product coming up? And you're like, well, we're going to talk to the studios that are going to make content. The studio, when you go to the studios, they say, well, how many screens do you have? Because when a film costs 15, 20, 30 million dollars, the studio wants to know they have enough footprint that generates back that money. Mm. Okay? So it's a chicken or the egg situation. Turns out, and I discovered that recently through the, that process, the only people that sit on top of that food chain are the filmmakers. Funny enough, if Steven Spielberg wants to make a film, the studio is not gonna say, oh, well, sorry, we can't. You know, like when Quentin Tarantino wanted to release the 70 millimeter version of Hateful Eight, yeah. Warner Brothers deployed 300 70 millimeter projectors in the theaters. That's just what it is. So, turns out that go talk and get the filmmakers on board. They will command the studios to do that, which in turn force exhibition to say you need to deploy this technology because that's how it's playing. And then you do it. Slick, does it have to be like sent by a certain caliber of filmmaker? Yes. Yeah, and Steven Spielberg, sure. Of course. This is a Hassan Ali from uh, It's a harder sell. <laughs> it's, it's a harder, a harder sell. sell, right? Yeah. I mean, what it does, it creates product yeah. and reason to do that, but it's a harder sell. Can Hassan Ali go on digital? Sure. The other thing that I use as a beating stick is that I kept telling the exhibition, which are the largest pain in the ass. So here, I'll, I'll tell you an analogy that I always say. You're a, comp you're a startup company who created an amazing new rubber compound that allows tires in cars to be more efficient, drive longer, less noisy, heavy, heavier grip on the road. All the qualities you can imagine that all the Michelin, Bridgestone, whatever, continental of the world dream of. You go, you pitch it to Michelin. Mission says, no, 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 that's not a product that we're interested in. And you're like, wait a second, this compound create your tire that's gonna, and then you go back into that same thing. Like, it's better grip, it's be less noise, cheaper, longer, sharper. No, 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 we don't want to do this. It's a little bit of that in the film industry. The structural things have been put on in place for so long that everybody is so petrified of any change. And this is why technology in Silicon Valley has been disrupting it so much. Like, you know, they're like plowing the field in Hollywood because Hollywood people are, first of all, they're artists mainly. Product takes a long time. This is not a product, the film and TV is not a product that you can churn out in two, three hours. I'm not talking about your typical YouTube, you know, I'm talking about like proper filmmaking. Technology is so much faster than this. So this is why the, the influx of technology and change through technology in Hollywood has been massive because by the time Hollywood starts steering the ship, it's a bit like the Titanic. These guys are in a speedboat. They're already gone there. So, uh, so, so, so we use the beating stick of, well, you don't want to do this theatrically? Fine, we'll do it digital. And you will never have interactive repeat business, more popcorn and soda sold like you want. Because that's the honest, they make a lot of money on popcorn and soda. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Please follow and subscribe on Spotify, Amagami, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. 
Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Foda2020 to stay updated. We'd love your feedback, so please DM us on Instagram and leave your comments below. 